In Parshas Bahar, we have the prohibition of ribbis. The Torah commands us not to lend money at interest. The Torah says, Al don't, don't take from him different types of ribbis. Don't lend him money with ribbis. Don't give him food with ribbis. This is one of several references in the Torah to the prohibition against charging, charging interest. It's, it's a matter of uh, some discussion why the Torah prohibits ribbis. We know the Torah gives us many commandments. Some of them we know the reason for, some of them we don't. Ribbis, it's generally assumed, is not a chok. It's not like paraduma, a gzera of the king that we don't know the reason for. It's generally assumed that ribbis is logical. It is pretty difficult, though, to articulate a, a compelling reason for why ribbis should be usher and charging money for things like renting your donkey or renting your house or your car is not usher. So... The Gemara actually implies that ribbis is a form of gzela. The Gemara goes so far as to ask, why do you even need a separate prohibition for ribbis and gzela? The Gemara retorts the obvious, uh, the obvious answer, which is that ribbis is consensual. That's why it's not gzela, that's why it's a chedush. But why is ribbis actually usher? So Poskim actually struggle to explain, to explain why ribbis is usher. Some say, we, a few weeks ago we talked about the mitzvah, there's a halacha that you're supposed to do mitzvahs for free. You're not supposed to charge for any mitzvah. You're not supposed to charge for, for bris milah or for providing medical care or for teaching Torah. We do charge for all those things, as we mentioned, but the halacha, you're not supposed to. So some posts can explain that since there's a mitzvah to lend, to lend money, you're not supposed to charge for that mitzvah. The problem, the problem with that is that the, even though there's a mitzvah to lend money, to lend money the mitzvah doesn't apply when you need the money, when you need the money for yourself, you don't have to lend the money. If that's your business, if you're a bank, if you're a money lender, and, and, you, and, and that's your working capital that you earn your living from, then there's no, there's no mitzvah to lend that away for free. I, I need that money for my parnasus, and why can't I charge a Jew interest? Some say that it takes away bitachon. Ribbis is such a sure thing that you won't have enough bitachon in Hashem if you have the, the security of charging money with interest. Some say that ribbis is just a... Uh, you know, a failure to, to display brotherly love, that uh, if, if, if your brother needed money, you wouldn't charge him uh, 25% interest, maybe, but, you wouldn't, you, but, but, if you, but then you shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to charge a due rent for a house either. If your brother needed a place to stay for a few weeks, maybe you wouldn't charge him either. Maybe you would. Some people would charge interest to their brothers as well. So it's, uh, it, it's actually pretty difficult to articulate a, a compelling and logical reason for why Ribbis is usser, and yet charging rent and all types of other commercial transactions are mutter. So, but uh, anyway, again, it's, it's a law in the Torah. It's a major, it's a major cornerstone of, uh, of Jewish finance, of Jewish economics, and allowed to charge ribbis. And whether we know the reason, whether we don't know the reason, it is a lav daraisa. It's multiple, multiple lavim daraisa. It's, uh, the, the, Gemara, the Gemara has dire warnings about the severity of the transgression, there's ribbis daraisa. There's a, there's a limited set of the limited set of transactions transaction types which are asher midaraisa, and then there's ribbis drabanan. The rabbanan, the chachamim of the gemara, extended it greatly to cover all kinds of other things. Many types of transactions that are mutter midaraisa are still asher midrabanan. Um, in school, I heard um, I heard about ribbis in school today.
Simcha learned something about ribbis. He wants to tell us what he learned. Tell out loud. It's like too big of a mitzvah. What's too big of a mitzvah? I don't know exactly. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for telling us. So, we may not know exactly why ribbis is Aser, but the, it is Aser, and it is a, it is a broad-ranging Isser. Certainly after the rabbinic extensions, it uh, covers uh, a pretty broad swath of, of transactions. It is something that an observant Jew has to be familiar with, at least the basic rules, to avoid uh, all kinds of transactions which could be considered a form of ribbis. What I want to talk about tonight is a related question, which is, from a modern economic perspective, there is the notion of the time value of money. The time value of money is a concept that is closely connected to ribbis. It's the idea that having money for a, for, a, for, for a given amount of time is worth money. It's often related to ribbis, although the causal connection is sometimes stated in opposite directions. Sometimes people say, because if I had the money, I could earn interest on it, if I, th- 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 that's, what, that's what gives the money a time value because it's valuable to have money because I can put it in the bank or do whatever it is I would do with it and earn money. Sometimes, sometimes the relationship is expressed in the opposite direction. The reason why we charge interest is because money has a time value. That If I give up my money for a certain amount of time, that has value. If I'm giving up that value, I want to be compensated for it by paying interest, by, by, by charging interest. So the time value of money is the intuitive economic notion that having money for some definite amount of time is worth a definite amount of money, similar to rent. The question is, is does the Torah recognize the time value of money? On the one hand, the Torah prohibits quite, uh, quite firmly actually charging ribbis. But what is the Torah's attitude in general? Do we recognize the notion that money has a time value? And it's actually a, a somewhat difficult question to answer. There are poskim who take for granted that the Torah does recognize the time value of money, and that has certain halachic ramifications in, in the laws of ribbis or related halachas. They say that you're not allowed to charge for it. They, a, a lender is not allowed to charge directly for money that he lends. But that doesn't mean that ribbis doesn't have a time value, that money doesn't have a time value. That's, uh, that's a fundamental economic notion. It's a reality. It does have time value. But as we'll see, other posts can apparently disagree. There does seem to be a school of thought that says that when the Torah prohibits you from charging interest, the Torah is simply rejecting the notion that money has time value. The Torah simply is telling you that, at least from a halachic perspective, we look at money as not not having any time value at all. The discussion revolves around a Mishnah in Makos. The Mishnah in Makos is talking about the laws of Edim Zalmim. Edim Zalmim is a halacha, we don't practice it today, but it's a halacha, a, a biblical law, discussed at length in the Mishnah and the Gemara. The law is that if Adam testify against a defendant, either in a criminal proceeding or in a civil proceeding, they give testimony that is, is against the interest of the defendant. He's going to be punished, he's going to be fined, he's going to suffer some misfortune based on their testimony. And it turns out that they lied. Not just turns out that they lied, it turns out that the lie is discovered through a very specific set of circumstances called Hazama, that a second, a second pair of Adam comes to Basin and says, what? That first pair of Adam says that we saw XYZ on such and such a date? That can't be, because we were with them on that date, somewhere far away from wherever they saw the event. They said that on Rosh Chodesh, Sivan, 
in Silver Spring, they saw X, Y, Z. That can't be. And Rosh Chodesh Sivan, we were with them in we were with them in New Mexico. Now today we can travel uh, long distances in one day, so it has to be far enough away that you can't realistically travel. But uh, in the time of the Gemara, they couldn't travel it. They couldn't travel that quickly. That's the law of Hazama that if witnesses are shown to have perjured themselves by the process of Hazama, by a second pair of witnesses saying that what the first pair said couldn't possibly be true because we were with those witnesses and they were somewhere else, then the halacha is that the, that the mendacity of the first pair of witnesses is considered established, and in this particular case, they are punished, a kind of mida connected mida, they're punished by, we impose upon them whatever punishment or misfortune they were trying to impose on the defendant. If they were trying to convict him of a capital crime, we convict them of the capital crime and we execute them. If they were trying to convict someone of, uh, convict, if they were trying to establish civil liability for someone, they, we, we fine them the identical amount, we make them pay that to their would-be victims. So, for example, if they say that Reuven broke Shimon's window. We saw it on Rosh Chodesh Shivan in Silver Spring. Adam say, Imanu Ha'isim, you with us on Rosh Chodesh Shivan in, uh, in Moscow. Then we say, okay, you wanted to make him pay $100 for the broken window. You pay him $100 for the broken window. That's the law of Hazama. The mission in Mako says, what happens if, the, in a civil case, again, they were trying to obligate the defendant in a civil liability. They, they were trying to say he owed money. And the truth is, he did owe money. It is true. Ultimately, it's true he owed the money. But they were trying to say that the loan, he owes money and the loan is due almost immediately, in 30 days. And the truth is, after we caught them lying through Hazama, it turns out the loan was really only due after 10 years. So we're not going to make them pay the entire sum of money because he would have had to pay the money anyway. They, they weren't trying to create a, a whole new obligation that never existed. He, he did owe the money. Just they were trying to say he owes the money in 30 days. Really, he owes the money in 10 years. So how much money, how much do these Adam have to pay according to the law of Kasher Zamam? So the Mishnah says, we have to calculate, we make an estimation, we say how much would a person pay to have a thousand, to have a thousand zuz, and to have a thousand zuz that he owes in 30 days, to have a thousand zuz that he owes in 10 years, and based on these types of calculations, that is how much we, that's how much we assess the witnesses. So basically, the Mishnah seems to be telling us that the liability of the witnesses is based on the time value of money. If the sum of the loan was a thousand zuz, and the difference between the reality and what they testified was 10 years and 30 days, so we figure out the difference between the time value of money for 30 days and the time value of money for 10 years, and that is how much we make the witnesses pay. That's what the Mishnah says. Now, in the Arzarua, one of the great Ashkenazic medieval uh, halachic works, the Arzarua brings a question. He says that a number of Rishonim struggled with this halacha. They said, really? We're assigning a time value of money to the loan? We're saying that, that having money in your possession for 10 years is worth more than having money in your possession for 30 days, and, and you would pay money for that? Really? You would pay money for that? That's called ribus. How can we possibly... How can we possibly assign a time value to money by considering things such as how much would you pay to have the money in your possession for 30 days or, or, uh, or 10 years? Such calculations are entirely illegitimate because money has no time value. That's called ribus. The Torah says ribus is prohibited. 
This is the, 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 the major objection to this Mishnah that was raised by several Rishonim, and as recorded in the Sefer Arzaruah. The answer they gave, the answers they gave, they gave a group of answers, but all the answers, we're not going to get too deeply into them, all the answers are, in this, are, are along the same lines. They said, the Mishnah, we have to qualify it, we have to limit it. The Mishnah is talking about certain specific cases that are not subject to the laws of Ribas. What kinds of cases are not subject to the laws of Ribas? So the first approach was that some Rishonim held that Ribas only applies to loans, not to obligations that, occur, that arise out of other circumstances. For example, the obligation to, to pay an employee the agreed-upon compensation. You owe him the money, just as surely as if you borrowed the money. If you agree to pay him for painting your house, and he paints your house, you owe him that money just the same as if you borrowed the money from him. But in halacha, it's categorized differently. A loan is, is, a loan is, is, has one, uh, is in one category, and payment for services rendered is another category. So some Rishonim held the prohibition of ribbis only applies to loans, it doesn't apply to other types of obligations. We don't pass it like that, certainly Madrabanana, at the very least, it's us or even in, in other, with, with regard to other obligations, but some Rishonim held that there is no issue of ribbis with regard to non-loan obligations, and therefore the Mishnah in Makos that talks about uh, assessing a time value of money is only talking about those types of obligations that arise out of rentals, out of hiring, out of, uh, employment, uh, out of employment operations, uh, employment agreements, because those are not subject to ribbis. Other Rishonim disagreed and said that the laws of ribbis do apply to non-loan obligations, so they found other cases where, where the laws of ribbis don't apply. One of them is Moshe Yisomim, when a man dies and leaves his estate to minor children, and the, and, and the court appoints a, a guardian to, um, to manage the estate that now belongs to the, to the minor children. So there's a halacha that the laws of ribbis, at least some of the laws of ribbis, don't apply to, don't apply to those assets. Or, moz shal charity funds, according to, again, according to at least some poskim, you're allowed to lend those, those funds for ribbis. They're not private funds, they're funds that belong to, uh, to a charity. So there are certain cases the post can say, whether it's non-debt obligations, whether it's charity funds, whether it's funds being managed by a guardian on behalf of minor children. There are a variety of cases where, according to at least some opinions, the laws of ribbis don't apply. So this group of Rishonim said that you have, to, uh, you have to limit the Mishnah to qualify that it's speaking about those types of cases where there is no prohibition of charging ribbis, or paying ribbis. That's why we can assess a time value the time value of money, but in a chinami, if we'd be dealing with debt obligations where the law of ribbis is in force, it would be impossible to assign any kind of time value of money, and the, and the law of the Mishnah, the Edom Zomen pay for the time value of money, for the difference between having a loan for 30 days and having a loan for 10 years, would be inapplicable, because there's no way to, uh, to assign a time value of money in a debt obligation. That was the opinion of several Rishonim cited in the Arzuru. Beis Yosef disagrees. Beis Yosef, in his commentary to the laws of Ribas, Beis Yosef says that he thinks this entire, this entire analysis, this entire approach to the Mishnah, is based on a fundamental error. He says, he says of course Ribas applies to Schirus as well, to employment agreements as well, to rental agreements as well. What about the riot from the Mishnah? What's the of the Mishnah, he says? He says the Mishnah is not telling you that you're allowed to pay Ribas. The Mishnah is not telling you that the that the debtor would be allowed to pay the, the, the lender for an extension of his loan, he would not be allowed to. That would be ribbis. Of course it would be ribbis. No one's talking about the debtor paying anything. 
we just bring the, we just bring up the concept of the debtor paying as a way of calculating how much it will be worth. In, in, in actual fact, the debtor would never dream of doing such a thing. But if you want to calculate how much the, the time value of money is, you say, if you would be allowed to charge ribbis, if you would be allowed to pay ribbis, how much would you pay? So they'll come up with a number. If you were borrowing money from a non-Jew, the, the laws of ribbis do not apply to transactions where either the, borrow, either the borrower or the lender is a non-Jew. In that case, how much would you pay? How much would you pay the bank for money for a certain amount of time? So that's what the Beis Yosef says. The mission is not telling you that it's actually permissible for a Jewish borrower to pay ribbis to a Jewish lender. The mission is simply saying that we calculate, we use it as a, as a means of calculation to figure out how much the loan is worth. The Edom are allowed to pay that. The Edom are not paying ribbis. The Edom are paying for the kasher zamam, for the injury they attempted to cause. No one's actually paying ribbis. So just because the Mishnah says we calculate how much it would be worth to you to pay to have the money for an extended period of time, you're not actually paying that money. So again, the Beisiosis point is making the simple point that just because the Torah says you can't actually pay for a, for a loan, to, for an extension to a loan, because that's ribbis, that doesn't mean that money has no time value. Of course it does. That's the Beis Yosef's point. However, the Rishonim, the Rishonim he's rejecting, they seem to have assumed that when the Torah says you can't charge for ribbis, the Torah is telling you that it completely rejects the notion of a time value of money. You can't deny the fact that a person would pay if he was allowed to, but in, for, at least from a halachic perspective, we act as though money has no time value. All that apparently is implied by the law of ribbis, and therefore if Adam Zomen are being asked to pay for the time value of money, you have to say that it's talking about these other circumstances where the laws of ribbis don't apply. But with respect to a loan, where the Torah prohibits ribbis, not only is the borrower prohibited from paying ribbis according to the Rishonim, but even witnesses wouldn't have to pay for the, for the time value of money because there is no such thing. When the Torah prohibits ribbis, that eliminates any possibility of speaking meaningfully of the time value of money, and that seems to be the opinion of the Rishonim. Again, the Beisiosis position is certainly the more intuitive one, that just because the Torah prohibits actually charging ribbis doesn't mean the Torah is denying the basic economic reality that money has a time value, that we can calculate it. We can calculate how much the non-Jews will charge, how much you would pay if you took the money from a non-Jew. And this basic shita is adopted by other Akronim, the Nachlas David, and Rabbi Yaakov Breish, and Chalkas Yaakov. They all assume that you, that of course the Torah recognizes that money has time value, you just can't actually pay for it if you're a debtor, because that would violate the prohibition of ribbis. The Ritva, another one of the Rishonim, when he discusses the Mishnah, he gets into detail of exactly how you calculate the time value of money, and he explains the Mishnah in what is perhaps not the most uh, straightforward and intuitive way. The Mishnah says that you calculate, in order to figure out the time value of money, you say, how much is the loan worth for 30 days? How much is it worth for, for a year, for 10 years? And you pay the difference. So, Kipshuto, we would understand, how do you figure those things out? You ask, a, you ask a debtor, how much would you pay to have a loan for 30 days? A loan of 1,000 zillions for 30 days, so at a rate of, I don't know, 10, 5% a year. And to give it to me for one month, it's about, roughly about a twelfth of 5%, so I would pay you, uh, I would pay you approximately half a percent of... Uh, Half a percent of a thousand is about five dollars, let's say. So, and if you ask him how much would you pay to have it for ten years, so he calculates again, working with a five percent interest rate, he calculates uh, at five percent for ten years. So that would be uh, that would be approximately fifty dollars, fifty dollars a year. And again, forget about compounding, but it's approximately five hundred plus dollars plus compounding for for uh, for for ten years. 
and you pay the difference, the difference between, the, the, the difference between $5 and $500, that's how much the, 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 the difference in the time value of money is between a loan for 30 days and a loan for 10 years. That type of calculation is, is the one that Rishonim objected to on the grounds that it sounds like ribis, and the Beis Yosef defends it by saying you're not actually paying that money, it's just being used to calculate the time value of the money. That's perhaps how you read the Mishnah Kipshutim. The Ritva has an inverse understanding of the Mishnah. The Ritva says, he doesn't mention the, the issue of ribis. He has, other, he has other issues he discusses, but the Ritva says, you know what the Mishnah means? You know how you calculate the time value of money? He says, let's say the money is due in 30 days. So how much would that cost the Lova to pay that if he paid it up in 30 days? When it's due, it would cost him a thousand zos. thousand dollars. Let's say, he says, the money is due in 10 years. Let's say he decides, the, the, the lender comes to him and says that, that he would like the money back right away. He has no right to demand it. You can't call a loan early unless you stipulated so. But let's say the lender says, look, it would, it would, it would, it would be really worth my while. I have, a, I have an attractive business opportunity. It would really be worth my while to get the money back. So let's say the borrower says, okay, I can give you your money back early, but I want a discount off the loan. So the halacha is you're allowed to do that. You, the, even though to pay money for an extension, you're not allowed to do, but to get a discount for returning money early, that you are allowed to do. If they agree, the lender and the borrower will give you the, th- the thousand zuz, it's mine for ten years, I'll give it back to you now if you agree to take 90 cents on the dollar. If you agree to take 900 instead of a thousand, I'll give it back to you right away. That's mutter. That's absolutely mutter. Says the Ritva, the Ritva seems to understand that's what this Mishnah means. The Mishnah means, we say... If the, if the person had, if the, if the, if the borrower had the thousand zuz, and he had the option of holding on to it for 10 years, then if he would choose to pay it now or in 30 days, he might only pay 600. He might only pay 600, let's say, or uh, he might only pay 600 or 900 or whatever, based on whatever the interest rates are. If the entire money is due, if the entire sum is due today, due after 30 days, he has to pay back the entire sum. The Ritva says, that's how you calculate the time value of money. You say... The, if you owe the money after th- in 30 days, then you, then you have to pay, so let's say you're paying it today, 30 days early, so maybe you'll, maybe you'll pay uh, 990. And if, and if you get to pay it back in 10 years and he wants it now, you would, you would offer it to give it to him, only give him back 900 if he wants it back immediately. You subtract 900 from 990, the difference is the time value of money. That's how the Ritva understands the Mishnah. That you don't calculate the way we said originally, which is how much the borrower would agree to pay extra to extend the loan, you calculate just the opposite, how much the lender would discount the, the repayment if the, if the borrower agrees to repay early. Says the Aruch Lener, according to this Ritva, that is certainly not ribis, as we just explained. The, the Rishonim were assuming it was ribis because they assume the calculation is based on how much would the borrower have to offer to have the extension, to have the loan, to have the extension. That's ribis. Beis it says it's not ribis, it's just a way of calculating the time value of money, but that at least the Rishonim held is a question of ribis. The Aruch Lener says, that based on the Ritva, the way the Ritva calculates the time value of money, we look at how much would the borrower have to pay back if he pays back right away, would he pay back the full value or a discounted value, that's a perfectly legitimate calculation. Look, Uliyama, there's no ribis involved. You are allowed to offer a discount, the, the lender is allowed to accept a discount for asking for the money early, no ribis is involved, so we simply subtract that sum from the full value of the loan or the, or the amount you would have to pay if he's paying it back uh, when it's due in 30 days, which is almost the full value of the loan. 
That's how you calculate the time value of money. That is a calculation which does not involve ribis at all. So according to this approach to the Mishnah, there's no issue of ribis at all because you're calculating time value of money not based on how much the borrower would pay for an extension of the loan, but just the opposite, based on how much the lender would discount for an early return of the loan. That's a calculation that does not involve ribis at all. So again, the Rishonim didn't understand like that. The Arzeruah, the Rishonim there understood the calculation is based on how much the, the borrower would offer, but the Ritva and the Archoner understand the calculation is the reverse. It's based on how much the lender would discount the loan. According to the Archoner Shita, he actually wonders what would happen in the reverse case. The mission is talking about a case where the loan was actually due after 10 years and the Edom Zom tried to injure the Lova by saying it was due immediately after 30 days. What about the reverse case, where the loan was actually due in 30 days? The Edom Zomimim, the original Edom, tried to injure the lender by, by testifying to, an, to a false extension of the loan for 10 years. So they were giving a windfall to the borrower at the expense of the lender. Then they were found to be Edom Zomimim, and really the loan was due after 30 days. So here the Archoner says, according to the Ritva, you would calculate in the reverse way. Here you would have to calculate by, by the, way the, the way the Arzerua said, by how much you would have to, how much the borrower would pay to have an extension of the loan. The Ritva understands that, the, the Ritva understands that whoever is losing, we calculate from his perspective. In the case of the Mishnah, where the lender was losing originally based on the Edom Zom, we calculate how much he would discount based on what the Edom said. Here, where the, where the borrower is losing, the borrower, is, uh, the borrower really has the right, uh, here where the, I'm sorry, in the Mishnah's, in the Mishnah, right, in the Mishnah's case, in the Mishnah's case, it was the, it was the borrower who was losing, we calculate from the perspective of the lender how much you would agree to discount the loan according to the false testimony. In the reverse case, where it was the lender who was losing, here the Rodarchoner says we would calculate how much the, the borrower would, would pay to get the loan extended. That might actually be a question of ribis, similar to what the Arzurua said. I'll call upon him, we have, we have three different approaches at this point to the Mishnah. The, the Mishnah in Makos that discusses the time value of money, we have three ways to understand how it's not an issue of ribis. We have the Rishonim and the Arzurua who say that it's not an issue of ribis because we're talking about the making of Kimta, we're talking about the types of obligations that are not subject to ribis, obligations that are not loans, that are other types of debt, that are other types of obligations, such as rentals or tzedakah and so on. That's the first shita that we're talking about, obligations that are not debt obligations, that are obligations based on other circumstances that don't give rise to a prohibition of ribis. That's approach number one. Approach number two is the approach of the Beis Yosef, that yes, the Mishnah is discussing what would be ribis if the borrower himself paid it, but the borrower is not paying it. We're just using that as a, as a means of calculating how much it's worth. We're using how much a hypothetical borrower would pay, how much a hypothetical, land, hypothetical lender would charge, simply as a way of arriving at an economic value of the loan. But no one's actually paying that. The borrower is not paying that. And the witnesses are not subject to ribis. They're just paying a penalty, a, a, a fine for, having to, uh, for trying to injure the lova. So according to the Beis Yosef, there's no issue of ribis at all because we're not dealing with a borrower paying money. We're just using the borrower paying as a thought experiment, as a hypothetical way of calculating how much the money is, is worth, how much the time value of money is. The third approach is the, is the approach of the Ritva and the Arachlaner that potentially there would be an issue of ribis here. There might be an issue of ribis here. But the reason it's not a problem is because we're not dealing with, at least in the Mishnah's case, we're not dealing with a calculation of how much the borrower would pay the lender for the loan, for the existence of the loan, or to extend the loan. Rather, we're considering the reverse question, how much the lender would discount the loan 
assuming it was due later and he was pay and he was discounting for early payment, how much would he discount the loan? That's the calculation you use to calculate the time value of money. That's not ribis. That's a halacha, even though it's uh, conceptually, you can argue, it sounds very much like ribis. We'll explore this more in a moment. That's not actually ribis. A lender is allowed to discount a loan for early payment. That's why there's no ribis in the Mishnah. So, according to all explanations, the Mishnah is discussing a time value of money. How that can be squared with ribis, there are different approaches. The Basiosis approach is there is no contradiction at all. Money has a time value despite the fact that the loaf is not allowed to pay for that time value. The other Rishonim and the Archonair say that, the, no, there is actually potentially a problem of ribis if you calculate a time value of money. The prohibition of ribis actually forestalls and renders it impossible to speak of the time value of money. And either the mission is speaking about cases that are not subject to ribis, or, according to the Archonair, we're talking about a calculation based on discounting a loan for early payment rather than a calculation based on paying for an extension of a loan. This distinction between paying for a loan or paying for an extension of a loan on the one hand and discounting for early payment is the subject, is, is used by the Rav Yaakov Reich in the, the Chelkas Yaakov to, uh, as basis for an important leniency, a controversial leniency, but uh, an important leniency he has in modern commercial practice. In the 19th and 20th century, there was considerable debate over a practice known by various names. In, uh, in modern America, it is referred to as 210 net 30. 2 over 10 net 30. So that means that if the, that is an arrangement between vendors and, and customers, between suppliers and, and their customers, that there's a certain price for the goods, or for the goods being sold. And you can pay in 30 days or sometimes in three months. If you pay, the, the, the actual obligation is due, in, uh, is due in 30 days or sometimes in three months. And if you pay then, you pay the full, full price for the, for the goods. However, if you pay within 10 days, if you pay early, then you get 2% off and you pay only 98% of the bill. Suppose can debate whether such an arrangement is permitted or not, whether, it's, whether this violates ribis or not. In general, based on Gemaris and Ezuneshech, setting up a deal where there are two prices, one price if you pay today, a higher price if you pay later, that does violate ribis. We, we, we look at it that the, the true price is the price if you pay immediately. Any greater price that you, that you agree to pay if you pay later is considered ribis because you're adding on to the price for the privilege of having the, holding on to the money longer and not paying right away. So, so two-tier prices, where, where, there are two, where there are two sets of prices involved, one, a lower one for earlier payment and a greater one for later payment, generally is a problem. And uh, so 210 net 30 sounds like it would be a problem. Nevertheless, Postkim for the last couple of centuries have been debating this, and a number of Postkim actually tried to find leniencies for this. It was a common practice. And a, a, a number of these leniencies are, are based on the approach that whether an, an agreement like 210 net 30 would be Osir or Mutter, the, I, I mentioned the Gemara says that having two prices, one for early payment, one for later payment, is Osir, but a number of posts can work with the approach that it really depends which is the real price. If the real price is the low early price, and the, then the later price becomes ribis, the later higher price becomes ribis, because you're adding on to the true price, the early price, you're adding on a surcharge for late payment. But if we have the right to look at it in reverse, that the later price is the fair price, 
and you're simply discounting for early payment, that is more permissible. This is the approach taken by Rabbi Yaakov Reich. He argues that, as we mentioned earlier, this basic dichotomy is clear from the laws of Ribas. That if the price is low and you, and you agree to pay more for an extension, then that's Ribas. But if you simply discount a, a sum that's due to you for early payment, for paying earlier than it's due, that's mutter. The Gemara makes this exact distinction. The, the source of this distinction is a Gemara that distinguishes between, between having two tiers of prices for a sale and for a rental. For a sale, it's usher. If I sell you my house and I say it's a million dollars if you pay cash up front and it's 1.1 million if you, pay within six, if you pay me in six months, that's ribis. However, in a rental case, it is different. If you say, if you say that I'm, I'm leasing you my house for a year and, and, and the lease for the year is going to be 12000 if you pay at the end of the year, but if you pay up front, if you pay in advance for the full year, then the lease price is only 10000 That is mutter. What's the difference? It sounds like it's exactly the same case. How come when we talk about sales, it's usher to have two prices, one for now, one for later. When it comes to rentals, it's mutter to have two prices, one for now, one for later. So the Gemara says the difference is when you sell something, payment is due immediately, immediately upon the sale. So therefore, the true price is considered the current price, and the higher later price is considered to be including a surcharge for, for late payment, and that's ribas. When it comes to rental, the Gemara says, al-pi'alacha, the tzchirus enemishtalemes el-lebesof, rental, rental charges are due at the end of the rental period. Therefore, you're not, the true price, therefore, is the price that you pay at the end of the rental period. The lower price for early payment is a discount for early payment. It's not that the lower price is the fair price, but the the later price is a sur- contains a surcharge. On the contrary, since rentals are not really due till the, till the end of the term, therefore we view the end, the, the end of the term price as the true price, the fair price, the real price, and the lower price for early payment is a discount. That's mutter. That's actually the source of this halacha, that, the, that even though a borrower is not allowed to pay for an extension of the loan, the lender is, is allowed to pay, to discount in other words, for an early return for a shortening of the loan period, for an early return of the loan. So Rebreich begins by establishing this rule. He says, of course, like the Beis Yosef says, of course, the Torah recognizes time value of money. It is a perfectly legitimate economic concept. But for a borrower to pay for, uh, for the time value of money for an extension to his loan, that's usher, because the, that's the prohibition of ribas. But for, the, for a lender to discount his obligation for early payment, that's mutter, because money has a time value. And that's what the Gemara means, he says. When, when it comes to a rental... Since it's not due till the end of the period, if the, if the landlord agree, agrees to take less for upfront payment, he's discounting money that's due to him later for, for early payment. That's mutter. But in the case of a sale, the money is due immediately. And if the seller agrees to take more money, if he's paid later, he's extending credit to the, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the buyer. That's us, because you can't pay for ribs. So both cases, from an economic perspective, it's the same thing. It's the same mathematical time value of money, but for the borrower to pay for the time value of money is usher. For the seller, for the, for the creditor, for the seller to discount for the time value of money, that's mutter. Says Reich, based on this understanding, we can justify an agreement similar to 210 net 30. He says, since there's a widespread, even though normally the Gemara says payment for goods is due immediately, since in modern commercial culture, he says, there is a standard arrangement where payment is not due 
until sometime after the, the goods are received. He says, the, the minog is, he says, three months, he says, you, you have three months to pay. Therefore, he says, that means it's like schirut. Just like in the time of the Gemara, the halacha was that rentals are not due till the end of the rental period. The Gemara learns that from a Pasuk, but Reb Reish understands that based on the minhag, the minhag can affect when the money is actually due. Since the minhag is that a, that a, of course, technically, in the absence of a minhag, a vendor can ask for payment up front. But since there is a well-established minhag, that payment for goods is not due, at least, again, in some contexts, in commercial contexts, you go to the grocery store, payment for goods are typically due immediately. But at least in some contexts, the payment is, is customarily not due until three months. He says, therefore, it is like schirus. It is it's like the case where the obligation is not due till later. Therefore, if you set up a 210, net 30, net three months in this case, like obligation, you say that, that what, you're, what you're saying is tantamount to, to, the, to the arrangement that the, the true price is the price that is due if you pay according to the sanctioned by custom time of three months. I would like to get the money earlier, so I'll discount it if you pay earlier. Discounting is fine. The Torah recognizes time value of money, as the Archlaner said as well. So the, the borrower can't pay for the time value of money in the form of an extension to his obligation, to his, to, to his right to hold on to the money. But the seller, the creditor, is allowed, to, is allowed to discount for early payment of an obligation that ordinarily isn't due yet. He can discount the obligation in order to secure early payment. That's Abraish's argument, and again, it's all based on the same idea that we recognize the legitimacy of time value of money, just a debtor can't pay for it, but a creditor is allowed to use the time value of money as justification for discounting money that he's owed, accepting early payment based on the time value of money, and offering a discount for the time value of money, that's fine. Therefore, Abraish feels that 210 net 30 is mutter. Many posts can disagree, however, even though various posts can try to justify it, Many posts can fail this arrangement as usser. Rabbi Yisrael Reisman, in his classic Ribbis work, says that 210 at 30 is usser. He acknowledges that some posts can say it's mutter, but he paskins that it's usser. He says you're not allowed to enter into those terms. If you do get a bill based on those terms, you should make sure to pay within the earlier months. You don't pay the Ribbis. Even if you do plan on paying within the earlier period, though, you still shouldn't agree to such a deal because the halacha is you're not allowed to agree to a deal that may require you to pay ribbis in certain circumstances, even if you don't plan on paying the ribbis. So Rabbi Reisman is machmer both ways. He says you should never enter into an agreement of 210 net 30, and if you do, then you should make sure to pay the, the 10, the 210 part, and not the net 30, because that is an issue of ribbis, although he agrees that some post more lenient, he rules against this idea, whatever the merit of the Chalkas Yaakov's arguments are, he rules the halacha that you should that we should be machmer on arrangements like, we should be machmer on arrangements like 210, net 30. We'll just quote one final, uh, one final source, on, well, one, let, we'll discuss one final set of sources on this topic. The, so first of all, there is a Shuvah Sarashba. The Rashba discusses, we discussed the mission of Adam Zoman. The Rashba discusses the general case. This is a major debate among Poskim. What happens if someone has an obligation and fails to pay the obligation on time. And the creditor says, because you didn't give me the money on time, I suffered a loss. I had an opportunity. I could, have, uh, I could have made money. I could have used the money to make money. Time value of money. Money has value. Can the, can the lender charge money for his opportunity cost? So the Rashba says, no, absolutely not. He says that 
he says, certainly you're not chay of me'ikra din, but he says that the, furthermore, even if they stipulated you should pay for that up front, you're not allowed to do that. That's ribbis, he says. If you would allow this, every ribbis would be mutter. Money always has time value, he says. That there's always opportunity cost involved with ribbis. And yet the Torah says ribbis is aser. So the Rashba says that you cannot charge, that, that, that in general a debtor has no obligation for paying late, even if the creditor argues that, the, that because of the lateness he suffered some economic loss. That's all included in the prohibition of ribbis. You're not allowed to pay for that, despite the fact that there, that there is some loss to the creditor. By, you didn't do the right thing, obviously, by paying late, if you had no permission to pay late. But you're not allowed to charge for it. And even if there was some stipulation that if you pay late, you're going to have to charge, I'm going to charge you for my opportunity cost, you can't do that, the Rashba says, because that is an issue of ribbis. So again, the Rashba is not denying that there is such a thing as opportunity cost, but he says you're not allowed to charge for it because that's ribbis. And even if you're charging not... You don't want to call it ribbis, you want to call it opportunity cost and, and economic loss and so on. That uh, it doesn't matter what you call it, he says, that is still subsumed under what the Torah prohibits as ribbis, and you're not allowed to charge for that. So I just want to close. For breaking agreements? Sorry? Can you charge it as a charge for breaking an agreement? There was an agreement to be paid a certain day. He broke the agreement. As a fine, he pays. No, so I don't think you can do that. If, 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 if the charge, if the, if, the, if the way you broke the agreement is by paying late, then, uh, that, 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 then in general you can't, that becomes, that's ribbis and you can't charge for it. There are certain sheetas in the postkim that if it's, that they're, they're, you're right though, that there are certain sheetas in the postkim that if, if, you don't, if you don't structure it as a per diem or, you know, or compounding ribbis that's paid based on how late you pay, but instead, it's a one-time class for it's a one-time penalty for failing to to, to, to meet the agreement. Then yes, there are postkim who allow ribbis der knas when it's one when, when it's when, again when, when it's not a penalty that keeps rising per day. When it's simply a one-time when, when when there's no obligation at all if you pay within the time and if you and like you said if you if you if you breach the agreement and then an immediate one-time not uh, not non-growing obligation is triggered. Then there are postings that allow that. It's uh, they say yes, there, there is such a shita, but, uh, but but if it's structured as ribbis, if it's structured as for every day late of the agreement, since you're breaching the agreement by another day, you pay another uh, another dollar. That lakuli alma is awesome. So I just want to discuss one final uh, one final point, also based on this parsha in the same parak in Parshas Bahar, parakaf hey. There are actually a couple of other sections in the in the Torah that potentially involve, at least indirectly, the time value of money. I don't really have an answer. I'm going to raise a question. I don't really have an answer for this, but it's just a point worth noting. The Torah discusses various cases where a person sells something and then wants to purchase it back. One case is Sedea A person sells ancestral property in Eretz Yisrael. So the halacha is a sale of, of his inheritance is binding until Yovel. It's essentially a long-term lease. And then it reverts to him at no cost at Yovel. But even before Yovel, the person has the right to, person has the right to redeem the, the field by paying back a prorated portion of the original sale price. So the way the Pasuk explains it, it says, if a person finds money to, to redeem his field, he's v'chishav as shneimim karo, that he calculates how many years have elapsed and how many are left till Yovel, and you pay the remainder and you get back the field. So what does that mean? So give a concrete example. So Rashi says, you figure out the original price was whatever it was. There were so and so many years till Yovel. For example, he says, uh, 
He says the Rashi doesn't give an exact example, but he says that if the field was sold till Yovel, that means that we divide the purchase price by the number of years. If each year was sold for a certain amount. If a certain number of years have passed, we calculate the value of those years, and you calculate how many years are left, and you pay back the you pay back the remaining years, and you take back your field. Rambam gives us uh, an actual concrete example. Rambam says that the with a numerical example, he says there are ten years till Yovel. He sells the field for a hundred dinar. The the buyer ate the field for three years. Now the seller wants to buy his field back. How much does he pay back? He pays back seventy dinar. 100 dinar for 10 years, 10 dinar a year, 3 years have elapsed, you pay the outstanding balance of 70 dinar, a simple linear calculation. He ate it for 6 years, he pays back 40 dinar. And if you don't, if you don't redeem it at all, you wait till Yovel and then it goes back. We find a similar halacha about a person who sells himself as an Evadivri. So an Evadivri also has the, can redeem himself by paying back the outstanding balance of his purchase price. The, we're talking about an Everdivri who would, the Pasuk says, You figure out how many years were left till Yovel. You, you, you take the purchase price, you calculate that it was so much per year for each year until Yovel. You calculate how many years have elapsed, and you pay back accordingly. Again, Rashi says, What does that mean? So Rashi gives the, Rashi gives the example. There were 20 years until Yovel. And he paid twenty mana for the Eved. And so therefore each 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 year is one mana. If he served for five years, then he subtracts five mana and pays back fifteen mana. Rambam gives a similar example. Rambam says the he sold himself for he sold himself for sixty dinarim and for, for, for six years, let's say. And he worked four years, he pays back twenty dinarim. He sold himself for forty dinarim for ten years. So that's four dinarim a year. So he says, and so on. So the Rambam says, the same as Rashi, in both these cases, a person sells to Ahuza, his field, his ancestral fields, a person sells himself as an Evadivri, and then wants to redeem himself during the time, during the term of, his, of the sale, redeem the field, redeem his person during the term of the sale. So you make a simple linear calculation of how much the, divide the purchase price by the total number of, by the total duration of the sale, and each unit of time is sold for that amount of money, and then you figure out how much time has elapsed, and you prorate the purchase price based on those considerations. Now, one can object to all this. One can argue, based on everything we've been discussing about the time value of money, this is not really a correct calculation. When a person sells himself for 10 years, for 100 dinar, is he really selling himself for 10 dinar a year? We could argue that, the, that, that he's actually paying more for the first year and less for the last year, because for the last year, he's advancing the money 10 years in advance. If I ask you to pay for something that won't be deliverable in 10 years in advance, you're going to have my money for 10 years. So arguably, because of the time value of money, I would pay less for, the, for something that I'm not getting till 10 years and more for something that is due right away. One could argue that the, the, that, that the calculation actually should not be linear, that there should be a, there should be a higher value, that there should be more than one-tenth of the, of the purchase prices for the first year, less than one-tenth of the purchase price for the last year. If I, uh, if, so using a concrete example, if I wait nine years until, uh, until I redeem myself, then I want to just pay you back, I, I want to just pay you back the, the 10 dinar for the last year. So, that's, so that, that, that's not entirely fair because I had these 10 dinar for nine years and now, and, and now I'm just going to pay it to you back and you didn't, ha- you didn't have my earnings of the last year. 
So I basically got a free loan. If, 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 you, calculate linear, if you calculate in a linear way, I'm actually getting a free loan for, for, for nine years, for 10 years. So we could argue that the price should actually be understood as having a, a higher price for the first years and a lower price for the last years, but that's not what the Rishonim say. The Rishonim say that, the, that, we, that we assume the price was linear, was, the, was uh, the same amount for every year, and when you calculate the, what we call Giron Kesef, when you redeem yourself by prorating the purchase price, we do so based on the assumption that the price of each year is constant, and that's how much you have to pay back based on a simple prorating of the total purchase price based uh, prorated by the total number of years served or the total number of years that the seller had possession of the field, the, but that the buyer had possession of the field.